I'm Teller Emmer. The following sermon audio is from The Well, a ministry of the University Church of Christ in Malibu, California. Thanks for listening. Amen. Grab a seat. Welcome back to The Well. Like Jonathan says, this feels like it's been forever. Um, and what a beautiful night uh, to be out here. My name is Teller Emmer. I'm the campus minister for the University Church. Um, and if we haven't met, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm, I'm excited that you chose to join us here at the well tonight. We're talking about relationships this semester. We're starting out uh, this week and next with friendships, and we're moving into dating and enemies and neighbors. It's going to be an awesome semester. But I have a question for everybody tonight, and that is, have you ever done something, uh, made a decision that was stupid with your friends? I, I think they're, yeah, the odds are pretty good um, that you've done something that you look back at and you think, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? If I was in any other company, I would never have done that. But you find yourself having done it all the same. When I was a student at Pepperdine, I would go back to Colorado, where I'm from during the summers, and I would work uh, at a zip line for my summer job. And it was an awesome job because I was outside all day. I was interacting with people. Um, I, I made good money. But by far the best part of that job is that all the other zip line guides were people who loved the same things I did um, and tended to have all these like awesome skills and all this awesome gear and wanted to plug people into the adventures that they went on. Um, and I didn't have much of that, but um, decided to get involved in some of it. And one summer, I had a friend who also went to Pepperdine, live with my family, and work at the zip line as well. And we decided for that summer, when we get invited to, to do something, even if it's not something we've, we've done before or experienced before, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to join in, and we're going to do it. So that summer, when people were hiking, we were hiking. When they were camping, we were camping. When they were rafting, we were rafting. Um, and there was one guide... In particular, he was a little bit older than us. His name was James, and James took it upon himself to teach us to climb. He was a great climber, and he wanted us to learn to climb as well. And we'd done a little bit, you know, in, in gyms and on, on low walls and things like that, but we were not by any means climbers. And James would take us um, down into the canyon that the zip line went over the top of. And every day after work, we would spend a couple hours on, on the wall. We would rope up and, and practice, you know, technique. And a couple weeks into this, as we're starting to feel like we're sort of getting somewhere, we're sort of starting to learn some skills, James reveals that he has an ulterior motive for climbing with us and for training us. James wants to ascend Mount Royal. And Mount Royal... Um, is a, a pretty, uh, pretty hairy goal, um, and he can't find anybody who's able and willing to go with him, and he can't do it alone, and so he thinks if he trains us, maybe we uh, might want to go with him as we ascend Mount Royal. And even though we've been in for everything so far this summer, um, I had some major reservations, because Mount Royal is a 1,500-foot ascent, and it's a 20-pitch climb. Now, if you aren't familiar with climbing, um, 20 pitches is, means that you're not standing at the bottom, somebody going up the rope, and, and somebody belaying the whole time. Um, it means you climb to the top of the rope, and then you pull the rope up and send it up again. 
and then you pull the rope up and set it up again because the rope isn't long enough to make it all the way to the top. So, so when you're on a multi-pitch climb, you don't have someone who's just standing at the bottom of the mountain keeping everybody safe. So I was pretty nervous, you know, we've been on 30 foot walls this whole time. We haven't really used any particular gear. We have no real technical skills beyond the, the stuff that we um, had just been learning for like three weeks. But Jake, my Pepperdine buddy, was all in. And so I pretended to be all in and hoped upon hope that it wouldn't happen. I figured it, there was a good chance it wouldn't happen because it sounded like it would take a long time and we worked every day and if one person had a day off, the other two were definitely working. So I figured, you know what, it's not gonna happen. But James had other thoughts. His thoughts were, it's summer, so the sun goes down pretty late. And I think we can make this ascent and hike off the back three miles down before dark if we go after work. And, you know, he knew stuff, he, he was experienced. And beyond that, he was our friend, so we trusted him. And so a week later, I find myself loading stuff into his car and driving about an hour to the base of Mount Royal. And when we get there, we have about a couple hours before sunset, so we're moving, and we're moving with purpose. And we start going, and we start charging up the side of this mountain, and things are going really well. The first two or three pitches are quick, and they're easy, and I start to think, you know, maybe we can do this. And then it gets hard, and the routes get more technical, uh, and then the shadows get longer, so it's a little bit harder to see as you're going up. And we progress on and we're getting tired and we're getting slower and 20 minute pitches turn into an hour pitches turn into two hour pitches and we find ourselves in the dark deciding okay this next pitch is our last one we're going to send the rope up we're all going to end up at the top of the rope and we're going to decide if we can make it to the summit or if we just need to come down so we go up we reconvene at the top of the rope and we, we sit there with our backs against the wall with our, on, on, a, on a ledge that's about 12 inches deep with our feet dangling into space and decide we've got two options, right? When you're on the side of a cliff, you've got up and you've got down. There's only two problems. We're about two thirds of the way up, so we're closer to the top. But as you can see, Mount Royal, the top third is the hard third. So, um, the problem with going up is only James has the climbing ability to go up the next third. And the problem with down is only James knows how to repel. <laughs> we were counting on just going up the whole way. But we decide, you know, if we go down, at least we've got gravity on our side, so we're gonna try that. Um, the only problem is um, since our rope doesn't end at the bottom of the mountain, instead, the rope ends about 900 feet in the air. Um, James has to go first so that he can make sure when we come down, we don't go off the end of the rope. So he's gonna be at the bottom and, and hold on to it so that we can't um, come off the rope. What that means is the one person who knows how to rappel goes down first and leaves Jake and I at the top. And we you know, look at each other's gear to say, looks good to me. All right, feels good. See ya. Um, and for some reason, um, 
we that's that's where I learned to rappel a thousand feet up the side of Mount Royal at 11 o'clock at night uh, with a crash course from James before he left us and a pass fail exam at the end <laughs> some decisions you, you make some decisions and you look back years later and think my gosh that was so dumb right some decisions you make and right after you make that decision you realize it's dumb, right? Right when it goes wrong or right, right when it almost goes wrong, you go, wow, that was stupid. But then there's other decisions and those decisions you know before you make the decision that it's a stupid thing to do. And that was one of those decisions. Somehow by the grace of the Lord Almighty, we made it down far more intact than we deserved, but we got down. And now every time I go home and I drive by uh, Mount Royal. It's on my way home from the airport. And every time I go by, I think of that night and I think specifically of those guys without whom there was no way I was going to try to climb that mountain. The people I was spending time with that summer were influencing me, right? They were shaping me. They were molding me. They were, they were instilling in me new interests and new skills and, and new outlooks and expanding my risk tolerance. And something I read recently reminded me of that night. You may have heard of Jim Rohn. He, he's a big uh, business and personal development guy. He says, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. There's real science to back this up as well. Um, if you're a sports med major or bio, you might have heard of the Framingham Heart Study. It's a huge study of the residents of Framingham, Massachusetts that follows them over generations. It started as a heart study, but because there's so much information from so many demographics over such a long period of time, there's a lot of information beyond just heart health that has been found. And it turns out if you have a friend who becomes obese, you're 45% more likely to become obese yourself. If you have a friend who starts smoking, you're 60% more likely to start smoking yourself. Almost everyone has a salary that's within 20% of the mean of their closest community. So there's major uh, physical, external ramifications of surrounding yourself with people who are healthier and wealthier than you, right? <laughs> It doesn't stop there though, it goes beyond that. Carefully curating your closest community um, is, is straight up biblical. The Bible is full of, of, of information and advice on building the community that is going to shape you. It's not just self-help for a secular world. There is true, there is true um, biblical foundations on building out your closest community. Because the right friends are gonna elevate you, right? The right friends are going to bring you up. They're gonna elevate your wisdom. They're gonna elevate your worldview. They're gonna elevate your character. After all, who doesn't want more wisdom, right? Jesus tells his disciples to be, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Who doesn't want to be a little more shrewd, to, to, to look at a decision, a difficult decision, and to, to know which one is more likely to succeed? Do we go up the mountain or do we go down the mountain? You know, if I had had a little bit more wisdom that day, I would have said, you know, let's wait 
Let's actually figure out a way to start this trip at 6 a.m. so we have 12 extra hours. Better yet, let's wait a couple years until we have the skills we're going to need to get to the top of the mountain before we try something like this. It's the spring semester. Many of you have major decisions coming up. Coming down the pipeline in a couple months, I hate to remind you of that, but it's true. Um, regardless of, of if they're graduation related, there's big decisions that are coming up for all of us in our lives. Are you surrounding yourself with wise people? Proverbs 19 says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Listen to advice and accept instruction. Do you have people in your life who give you advice and instruction? Actually, you know what, that's a, that's a dumb question. Of course you do. Do you have people in your life who give you good, sound, wise advice and instruction? I know, I know many of us do. Some of us don't. I know many of us, um, for some of us, it's our parents who give us wise advice and instruction, but sometimes we don't want to listen to it. I don't know if, if that's an experience you've had. Certainly I have. When I was in high school, I was shopping for my first car and um, car shopping is something that I still love, but I was on Craigslist looking for deals and I found the perfect car. It was like the right number of miles. It was the right price. And I went to my dad and I was like, dad, I found it. Can we go check this thing out this weekend? And he, he said, yeah, that's pretty exciting. What is it? And I was like, it's a Ford Explorer. Before we move forward, does anybody here have a Ford Explorer? Okay. Two people aren't going to love this. My dad looked at me and said, tell her, uh, I wouldn't buy that car. Because you're going to spend more money fixing it than, than you will on actually buying it. It's going to spend more time in the shop than it will on the road. But, you know, I'm 16. I'm excited. I've already started envisioning mobbing down Highway 6 with the wind in my hair, country music bumping as I pull up at high school and wave at all the girls, you know, in my 93 Ford Explorer. It was going to be awesome. So I didn't listen to him. And I went to school and told all my friends, I'm getting this Ford Explorer this weekend. It's going to be awesome. They're like, cool. Then after school, I went to another buddy's house who was a mentor of mine. His name was Tyler. He, he was 23. He was a firefighter. He was jacked and tattooed. And I was like, I want to be like Tyler when I grow up. So I'd spent a lot of time with him. He was a huge influence in my high school years. And I told him, I was like, Tyler, I found this car. I'm going to buy it this weekend. Uh, it's, it's the right miles. It's in my price range. He was like, sweet. That's, that's huge. That's exciting. Like, well, first car, that's a big step. What is it? I was like, it's a Ford Explorer. He was like, ha, more like Ford Exploder. <laughs> so I went home. And I told my dad, you know what, dad? I've been thinking. And I don't think I'm going to get the Explorer. I just feel like it might not be reliable enough for me for my first car. I don't wanna, want it to turn into a money pit. And I can't imagine what my dad was thinking. He had given me that same advice that morning, and I'd blown him off. I needed to find it out for myself from a source I wanted to hear from. Find people, spend time with people who are not afraid to tell you you're going to buy a crappy car. I've been very blessed to have lots of people in my life um, because I've wanted a lot of crappy cars in my life who say, don't buy that. My wonderful wife is one of them who's talked me down many times. 
But find people, surround yourself with people who know what they're talking about, who have your best interests at heart, and who you're willing to hear from when they give you advice and instruction. The right friends will elevate your wisdom. The right friends will also elevate your worldview. When the people around you are happy and actually happy, not just pretending, it's easier for yourself to be happy as well. If you think for a second about the people you spend the most time with, how do they affect you? How do they make you feel? When you leave time with them, do you feel uplifted? Do you feel refreshed? Do you feel like exhausted? Do you feel dragged down? What happens when, when things happen, when uh, things don't go their way? Right? What happens when someone cuts them off on the 405? Or when they get a bad grade on a quiz or an exam? Is it the professor's fault? Or is it an insight that, oh, I need to study harder next time? Are they a victim of circumstance? Or are they more than a conqueror? Another proverb says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Anger there can be substituted for a whole lot of things, right? The moral is be careful who you go with because you're going to learn their ways and that's either going to be a good thing or that's going to be a bad thing. An elevated worldview, though, makes you resilient when it's not the you against the world, when the world's not out to get you and inconveniences become opportunities. This world is a wonderful place to live. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir up one another to what? Let us, let us consider how to stir up one another to feel bad for us. To stir up one another to talk trash about the person who wronged me. To stir up one another to drag each other back down and belittle each other. No, I have to confess, I have spent a lot of my life in friendships where I have belittled and dragged down my buddies because it felt good to feel funny. And I, I don't see those friends very much anymore. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is life circumstances, but a big one is wise decisions that they made to spend more time with people who made them feel good and who made them feel better about their life circumstances. Good friends, the right friends, will elevate your wisdom, they'll elevate your worldview, and finally, the right friends are gonna elevate your character. Do you wanna be a person who reflects the character of Jesus to the people around you? Find people who do that. See if you can get a little bit of that to rub off on you, right? Uh, we've all heard Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Who do you admire? What is it about them that you admire? And how do you get some of that in your own life? 
you spend time with them. And I'm not talking about you know, celebrities, billionaires, world leaders, um, though if you can spend more time with them, more power to you. I'm talking about people in our community, right? People on Pepperdine's campus. Who are the people that you admire? Who has those qualities that you want to see in yourself? Who are those people who don't seem phased when bad things happen? Who have awesome discipline, who do what they say they're gonna do? the motivated people, the dependable people, the people who treat other people like they're special, the people who are just a straight up blast to be around. It's true, you become the average of your community. So if you can instill more and more positive data points into your community, it's easier to trend that direction. The right friends elevate your wisdom, the right friends elevate your worldview, the right friends elevate your character. And as we close, I want to consider the opposite direction as well. Right? When you're real with yourself, are you elevating your closest community? Are you elevating their wisdom? Are you making the people around you more encouraged? Are you making them more like Jesus? Are you increasing the average or do you feel like you're holding it down? That can change. Take a second and think about it. Would your friends agree with what you think about that? Now, I want to be clear here because it could be dangerous to misinterpret what I'm saying. I am not advocating that we ditch existing friends. I'm not advocating that we leave behind the people who, who drain us who influence us to make bad decisions, who make it easier for us to compromise our character. I'm not advocating that. If we did that, we would be a community of people who are pursuing some unrealistic uh, expectation of everybody being perfect, and a lot of us would get left behind. What I am saying is that if our closest community shapes us, we must build that group with intention, not fall into it with convenience and proximity. Spend the most time with a squad who makes you better and you'll be a positive data point in the rest of your community. My challenge this week is to identify who that group is in your life. Put names on the people you spend the most time with, write it down if you have to, and ask yourself, does my time with these people elevate my wisdom, my worldview, and my character? And if the answer is yes, let them know that. Shoot them a text and say, oh my gosh, I am so grateful for the gift that you've given me because you make me a better person. And if the answer is no, identify someone who will and see if they'll grab coffee or have a conversation with them. Find a way to spend time in the presence of those people. Don't be creepy about it, but I, I trust that you can find a way to do that without being weird. Friendship is a gift from God. And I think we can use it to get closer to God and to live and to love more like Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, what a world you created. What a, a system you created, making us people who desire and who need and who love relationship. God, none of us can make it on our own. We all know that, Lord, and I pray that you would give us the clarity 
to look objectively at the people we, we surround ourselves with and be so grateful for the ways that they shape us to be who we are. And, and to look at the ways that they shape us to look less like you and not go down that path, Lord. God, I pray that you use everybody here tonight as a positive influence in this community, as culture shapers, as people shapers, so that we might all be closer to each other and closer to you. It's in your name we pray.